Today's reading is from the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Please follow along in your Bible or on the screens if you don't have your Bible. It says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. This is the word of God. Lord God, thank you for your creation. Thank you for giving us life and giving us our being. Lord, I lift up Kyle as he comes to, to give your word, Lord. Speak through him and lift him up, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you may be seated, friends. Thank you. <clears throat> so excited to be continuing this morning our study of the very first book of the Bible. So if you're new to the Bible, it's a pretty easy one to find. Um, it's right at the very start of the, the Bible. It's the book of Genesis. We've been going through it. Um, and we're about at the end of chapter, we've, we've gone through about two chapters of it now, and we're just going to go back now to look a little bit at verses 26 and 27. For the past uh, a few weeks, we've been celebrating Holy Week, so we've uh, diverged a bit from this, uh, this study called In the Beginnings, it's the, the sermon series title, um, In the Beginning. And because um, we've been in Easter and Good Friday and we had Palm Sunday and what a great celebration that we had during those times. But we're getting back now um, to our series going through the book of Genesis. And our aim um, is really to examine prominent uh, uh, sections of the book of Genesis. Uh, we might not hit every single verse. It's a very large book. But we want to hit prominent sections because of the importance of the book of the Bible itself. Um, in helping us understand God, and helping us understand ourselves, and even helping us understand what the, the whole Bible is all about. What is the Bible? Um, and we basically took a look at the first two chapters, which examine how and why God created the universe. And we said a lot about that, and we tried to maybe um, untie some, some knots that a lot of times the church has tied up, and we think that the Bible says this when it doesn't say that about creation. And we try to talk about that a little bit and um, just to help us understand um, what the Bible actually says about creation and why he created it. If you missed those, we do um, put these things online, these sermons online, and if that interests you, you can go there. I'd like to look in further detail at two very important verses they were just read that have been the foundation for human rights, for the abolition of slavery, for the justice system that we know today, even our human government, our particular government in the United States of America. And more importantly, I think these verses really describe what it means to be a human being, what it means to be us. Very important couple of verses. You probably have heard the expression that she, this daughter or that son, they're in the spitting image of their mom or dad. You know, so the spitting image. We use that phrase um, a lot in our, in our culture. Um, and I think what we mean by that is they really look a lot like their mom or their dad or someone like this. They bear a striking resemblance. Um, other times we might mean that they resemble the person's, like, 
mannerisms or attitudes or virtues or maybe even their vices, right? Um, if someone maybe is particularly and abnormally argumentative, man, boy, is he his father's son. You might hear something like that. It's meant more of an insult. <laughs> you're not the actual person, but you're so much like them that it might be hard to distinguish between the two of you if you're in the same room. If you were at a, a DeGagney side of the family, um, family gathering, all the men look exactly the same. <laughs> They're very, very similar. Um, my stepdad's family is very similar like that, too. You guys probably know what I'm talking about. The definition of the word image, and if you just pick up a regular uh, dictionary, it, sa it says basically it is a physical likeness or representation, like a person or a statue or a painting. Um, it's an appearance from a reflection like in a mirror, right? It's an image. Um, it can be a mental representation, like an idea. Like if I asked you to close your eyes and think of a hot dog, right? You probably could have like your mind's eye imagine a hot dog, and now you all want a hot dog, and you're not listening to me anymore. <laughs> but that can, it can mean that, right? Um, it can mean like in religion, um, it can mean an idol, like representing a deity, a statue, something like this. The Bible and these verses teach that humanity was made in the image and likeness of God himself. Very interesting. In that humanity is given the highest honor in all creation, above the snail, above the inu, whatever that is, right? Above the stars of the sky, even above the angels. Man is given the highest created honor, the only image more glorious, the only, only being more glorious and more fantastic than humanity is God himself. Now, isn't that amazing? Nothing else under heaven has been imbued with such a high purpose as this. But what does it mean? What does it mean that we were created in God's image, and why does it matter? Now, I know some of you might be struggling with whether or not you even believe in God. And if you do believe in God, how do we even know that this is the Bible is actually what represents God to us and how we know it's true versus false? Now, that's not really the, the scope or the purpose of this sermon, but those are really good questions. Um, I think some of that we dealt with in sermons prior to this, uh, maybe not all of that, but why it's reasonable to believe that God is real and that why it's reasonable to, reasonable to believe that Jesus resurrected from the dead, and if so, we can trust his word, and his word says that he is God in the flesh, and that scripture is inspired by God himself. So th those are just like the blanket, quick reasons why we believe in God, and why we believe the Bible is God's word. <clears throat> but what does it mean, just taking it at face value, asking just a biblical question, what does the Bible mean, when it says that we're created in the image of God. What about us is like God? So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. I want to talk about the origins of the idea of the image of God. I want to, I want to talk about the suggestions. What, if, what are the guesses that people have made about what this means? Um, I want to talk about what we think it means, what Scripture says that it means. And then finally, I want to close with the, probably the most important part is the implications to life um, from all this. So let's look at the origin. The phrase, image of God, um, is a Hebrew phrase. The, the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible, the two sections in the Bible, 
the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The New Testament was written in Greek. Now, these are ancient languages that we still um, know and study and have access to. But the image of God is a Hebrew phrase, telem Elohim, and Elohim is a word for God. Telem is image, okay? The Latin translation, if you've been kind of around the Bible world for a while, you might have heard this, is imago Dei, the imago Dei, the image of God, okay? The theological concept of the image of God throughout church history teaches that human beings are created in God's image and therefore have inherent value independent of their utility or function. Now, that's, that is, a, that is a, um, a textbook definition. I didn't make that up. Human beings are created in God's image and therefore have inherent value independent of their utility or function. So our function, what does this mean? What does utility and function mean? Let's get into, let's, let's talk about that for just a moment. Utility means usefulness. Well, what if you're not useful? Right? Well, seriously, what if you've been into a, a car accident or you got sick? There's a certain usefulness, uh, a function that you used to have as a human being that you no longer have. Well, the image of God says it doesn't, dep- your, your value depends on your nature, not your function. See, that's what the image of God means. So if you become paralyzed or you can't speak or you can't see, the image of God still dwells on you and you are still in his image. Human beings are created in God's image and therefore have inherent value independent of their utility, utility and function. That's why we, do, we don't send our seniors off to an island, right? Which is what some maniacs have tried to do in the past. They're not used, you know, we, we identify parts of humanity that aren't useful, so we think. So we decide they're no good to society, so let's get rid of them. They're less human, right? But that's not what the image of God teaches us. The text also says that humankind was created in the likeness of God. The image and the likeness of God. Now this teaches us a couple more things. It qualifies a couple of things. Likeness by limitation. In other words, we are not identical to God. We are like him, but we are not him. Okay? <clears throat> and number two, by amplification. And what I mean by that is that we are a reflection of God himself, and we are to live as his created analogy. And therefore, the title of our sermon, that we are the amplification, the representation, the divine analogy to the rest of creation. So that there is an essential dignity to your life as a human being. Members of different social classes, rich or poor, nationalities or races. This was the impetus of the abolition of slavery by William Wilberforce. The Imago Dei rests on all races and nations and and, and all peoples and isn't reserved to an elite, rich, white few in Europe. So men of God, Christian men who knew scripture, abolished slavery in England and eventually the Americas. So though perhaps they may be, um, we might perceive others as having some kind of inferior usefulness, they are nonetheless just as valuable and they have just as many rights as anyone else. They are human. The Imago Dei concept had an incredible impact on the development of what we've referred to today as human rights. You probably have heard of that phrase being an American. 
the, governmental, the governing concept of separation of church and state was also the byproduct of the Imago Dei principle. If all humanity, let me explain to you why. If all humanity is created in the image of God, then humankind stands first under the authority of God and not the state. So the state doesn't have the right to tell us how to worship God or what to believe about God. God alone bears that right. So, because of the Imago Dei concept, this entered into the, um, the way that we govern even countries. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. Well, where did they get that from? Well, they got that from Genesis chapter 1. Because all men are created in the image of God. And by the way, man, I know I've got to be careful today. Man is a blanket term for humanity, um, men and women. Endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We all know these iconic American words. The formation of liberty, religious liberty, human rights, these things in general have their origin in these two simple um, and yet profound verses of Scripture in the image and likeness of God, He created them. But how are we God's image? Okay, that's great. That's some of the origin and how it's kind of entered into the way that we think as a culture, um, our, our American pulse and virtues, so to speak. But how are we in God's image? In what ways are we like him? Theologians have been fighting over the meaning of, of this for millennia. So what is it? Now let's talk about some of the suggestions that have been made about what it means to be created in the image of God. First of all, some people have taken this to mean that we are created in the image of God substantially. Sub substantively, excuse me. What that means, it's very simple. It suggests that there's some part of us that we share with God. There's something that we have that he has too. It's not different either. We have this and he has that as well. So for example, we have a will. He has a will. We have a reason. We can reason. He reasons. Things like this. An everlasting soul. So in other words, he created us to live forever. He lives forever. So there's something about us that is, is not just like God, but it's, it's a shared it's a shared nature. Does that make sense? So it could be the reason, the will, the everlasting soul, the spirit. Augustine, he, he was a, a scholar and a pastor in, in the 300s, so a very long time ago. He suggested that God um, is three in nature. One in, uh, excuse me, three in person, one in nature. So there's one God, three in person, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So like God, we also possess some kind of plurality even as one human being so and he suggested it was our intelligence our will and our emotions so the, so the point being though that there's some subs, that, that there's something substitutional there's some characteristic that we have in common with god that we possess another early church father that means that he lived a long time ago okay close to the time of jesus he, his name was um, irenaeus and he basically said that those qualities are reason, will, holiness, and righteousness. We can reason, we can will, we know the difference between right and wrong, things like this. So that's that, that substantive type of idea. But here's the next one. 
And here's a, here's a nice word we're going to trip over together. The anthropomorphic theory. That's a, that sounds complicated, but it's really not. Anthropology is the study of man. Anthropos means humanity, right? Um, morpho, morphe is a Greek word. To morph, it's a form. You know, when you're morphing into something else, the mighty Morphin Power Rangers, you guys remember this. <laughs> the old people are like, what? And the young people are like, what? <laughs> if you're my age, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, so it's, it means form. Um, so the form of man. So, that's, so this basically says this. There's something about the substance or physical character, characteristics of man that's a lesson of what God is like. You guys might have heard of uh, Dana Carvey, the church lady. Um, I think he was Garth in Wayne's World, right? He, once, um, he was also a stand-up comic, and he once joked about how difficult it can be to be a parent and to have toddlers and children and all this, um, and just how stressful and it can be and how anxious they can make you. Um, but he once joked that, that kids have this power to heal you by their cuteness, and um, he gave an example. By one day, his son came up to him and asked him, Dad, does God have feet? Right? The, our kids do really cute things like this. Um, none of you laughed, but that's okay because you've got to watch him. It's a lot funnier when he does it. Um, but, he, Dad, does God have feet? It's not to say, this theory doesn't say that God has feet. But, but even our body should teach us something about what God is like. Right? like our reason, even the physical nature. John Calvin lived in about the 1500s. He was a pastor. Um, he was a French pastor, I think. Oh, oh, where was he? I forget what city he was in. But John Calvin um, pastored a church, and he said, even in man's body, some sparks of God's image glow. Now, that's very vague and kind of ambiguous. How does it glow? What do we learn about God? He doesn't really answer that question. But he's trying to say that there's something about man's physical nature, emotional nature, and spiritual nature that should teach us something about God. Because that's, that's that big word one. Okay. Now here's the next one, the relational theory. And it suggests that one must be in relationship with God to be in the image of God. So in other words, because humanity can actually know and love God, and vice versa, to be known and be loved by God, then that mean, that's what it means to be created in the image of God. So God doesn't have feet. It doesn't really, you know, does God love like I love? It has nothing to do with that. What it has something to do with is your relationship with him. It's not simply our reason or our will that make us like God, but our relationship with him. Our, our, our ability to remain in complex, how many people are in a complex relationship right now? I am. I'm married. <laughs> that's complex. But it's not because, it, my, my wife is wonderful, that's not what I'm saying, but it's complex, right? All relationships are complex, even friendships are complex. We can maintain these complex relationships, um, and that's what, what's suggested here, that because of this, that's what's resembled in God, that God is a, rela- a relational um, being, and therefore we are. So the marriage relationship, for example, is a spiritual and physical union between man and woman, woman in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 5, and Ephesians chapter 5 in the New Testament. So other creatures don't form these types of unions and therefore are not in God's image. We don't see, you know, dogs walking down the aisle getting married. They just don't do this. 
They don't have the kind of, com- that's what we mean by complex relationships. So that's the relational idea. But how about this one? This is the last one, the functional idea, the functional theory. It says that the image of God re- resides in our function rather than our form, our being. And that function is to rule over the earth as God rules over the earth, Genesis chapter 1. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea. You see this? And the birds in the sky over the... So let's make mankind in our image so that they can rule. So if they weren't created, if they weren't created in our image, they would not be able to, you see? So some people have concluded from this that that's what it means to be created in the image of God, that we have some kind of rulership, some royal authority over creation. And this is they take from Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. And it's clear from our text that God made humanity for that purpose. And in that we are like him because God exercises rulership over creation. But this emphasizes, if you notice, we mentioned this at the beginning, it emphasizes function over nature. In other words, a toaster toasts bread, right? That's what it does. That's its function. Um, A toaster toasts bread. It's what it does. But it's more than that. A toaster is more than just simply an object that toasts bread. It's made of metal. It has electricity. It has heating elements. There's all these different functions and components and parts of a toaster that make it able to do what it does. Does that make sense? So God makes man to rule over creation, but that doesn't, that doesn't necessarily mean that that's what it means to be in the image of God. Because what if we're paralyzed? What if we're in a coma? What if we just can't physically? then have we lost the image of God? Certainly not. So let's look at what we think it really means to be made in the image of God, and we're going to move on to the implications of it. It seems to me, that in this, from the scriptures, that humankind was created to be a representative of God himself to the rest of creation. So in other words, when anything like angels, animals, or anything around us looks at man, Man is what most represents God to them, the actual physical substance and being of man. Okay? Humanity is a tangible, observable substance meant to mirror both the nature and function of God himself. Therefore, all four of the things have a part of truth to them that we just talked about. All four theories really are what it means to be created in the image of God. So as God's, we, if we represent God, as God's chief representing agent, humanity stands as God's image substantively. In other words, we possess qualities shared by God himself. He created us with intellect, with emotions, with a free will. He is moral and holy and spiritual and righteous. We share um, these things with him. Humanity possesses creativity and language and love, holiness and freedom and the like. They make us different from the beasts possessing by nature, we possess by nature these godlike attributes, these qualities. So humanity was created to be a creature whose life was not, would not end as well. God created you to live forever according to Scripture. Scripture. 
We were never meant to die. The wages of sin is death. God did not create us that the day that you eat this, Genesis chapter 1, you will, um, excuse me, is it chapter 2? The day that you eat this, you will surely die. Man was not meant to die. Man was created to live forever. Death is the consequence of sin. So we share that attribute as human beings, the everlasting quality that God shares with us himself. But we also are like God relationally. In the image of God, he made male. No. In the image of God, he made them male and female. He made him. Isn't that interesting? He made him male and female. What's that about? There's a, there's a plurality in the image of God. So the image of God is not simply man. It's not simply woman. It's both. And you can see where the, when we start talking about implications, where this is going to lead us. We are like God relationally. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, like I said, he creates us male and female. He created him, the singular him, by nature one, yet plural. God's image is not just male and not just female. It's both. It's creating a union. You know, Deuteronomy chapter 6. If you were Jewish in this room, you probably, like a really devout Jew, you probably would know this passage. It's the Hebrew Shema. The Hebrew word Shema means to hear, listen, or obey. Right, the Hebrew Shema says, um, Hear, O Israel, here, there's that word, that's where they get that from. Hear, listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Okay, just in this very short sentence, you see two titles for God Lord, God, Lord our God, the Lord, He is one. Well, it's interesting because the name Lord in Hebrew, is singular, and the name God in Hebrew is plural. Yahweh Elohim, that I am at the end of the Elohim, makes it plural in Hebrew. Yahweh, singular, our God, plural, he is one. And the word for one there is like one pile of sticks kind of brought, brought together. So many in one. So God, while he's one in nature, is three in person. A mysterious thing that we have explained more to us in the New Testament. It's hard to understand the nature of God because of this. But the, what, the point of this is that we are created relational like God is relational. God didn't create us because he was lonely. Right? God experienced the perfect shared love within his own nature for all of eternity. And he created us for different reasons altogether. But yet we are relational beings like God is relational. We can exist in complex relationships. But also, functionally, we are like God. Substantively, relationally, and functionally, we are like God. God created us not just to be like him in nature, but to do the things that he does. So we're to be holy as he is holy. We're to be like him. That's why we know the difference between right and wrong. Even if you don't understand the Bible or believe the Bible, you probably have a sense of right and wrong. Like you shouldn't take your neighbor's life or steal their car. right? We just kind of know that there are certain things that we should and shouldn't do. We know these things because God has made us to be like him morally and righteously. So functionally, we're like God. We are holy beings. We know the difference between right and wrong. And we also know... That God has created us in a sense to care for each other and for the creation. We take particular responsibility, well some of us do, but we kind of know 
um, that we, we should at least take responsibility for the things around us, to care for the earth, to care for animals, to not torture them, right? To care for each other and not, not belittle and berate each other. And we just kind of know that that doesn't always happen, but it's the right thing. You see, so God makes us, and that's what scripture means, to rule over creation. It doesn't mean you, you're the boss and what you say goes. It means that you're caring for it. You have the chief responsibility of caring for the creation, making sure that it grows and thrives and is healthy, right? And we demonstrate this by our power, our intu- intellect, our love, our compassion, and our, whole, and our, and our righteous, sense of righteousness, Okay? So what are the, the practical implications of all this? If it means to be created in the image of, image of God means that we are like him substantively, relationally, and functionally, what are the implications? And this is where I think this, this can be a very powerful moment for all of us. You know, you're not here on accident. You didn't just accidentally walk in. God loves you. God holds all things in the hollow of his hands. He has a plan for your life. And he sees you as someone he loves. And here are the implications, and here's why. If God has created us in his image, this has to mean that you have inherent worth, that you are incredibly important and incredibly valuable. Right? Shouldn't it mean that? If there is no other creation under heaven and earth that was created in the image of God, that makes you very special. So you think you're not special. You think you're not important or worth something or valuable because maybe you just had an abusive mom or a dad that beat you up. Well, let me let you know the good news. There's a better dad. There's a better mom. There's a God in heaven who has not done that to you, has made you in his image and offers you this whole universe. Everything that is his, that is his he wants for you. You have inherent, incredible worth and value. There is an equality. You know what this means practically? That there's got to be an equality of persons and gender. That men aren't better than women and women aren't better than men. There's an egalitarianism. We have just as much capability as anyone else. Intellectually, emotionally, spiritually. There's an egalitarianism in, in Scripture that, that it, this should lead us to. You know, by the way, let me just add to this. There's imagery in the Old Testament when, when Eve was created, um, when God created Eve out of Adam's rib. You remember this? That's the story. The, image, the, the imagery there is that God is creating an equal for him. Because if, he, if, he, if, if God took a piece of his skull out and created a woman, it would mean that she would be like the, the despot, the ruler over man. But if God created Eve out of, like, I don't know, his big toe, <laughs> the imagery there would have been that the opposite, that man would, would be the ruler, the despot over women. But no, God created, and the ancient Near Eastern people would have known this very clearly, reading this. It gets lost in our culture because, because of these, um, these analogies we don't recognize. But because he, she was created out of his side, the lesson was very clear and very simple. God was created an equal and equal to, hum- to man. Not an inferior and not a superior and equal. What a very important lesson to remember as Christian men and women. That men and women, all nations, all races, all classes, 
All abilities are created in the special and unique image of God and what worth that gives to you. James chapter 3 says, well, you know, if you're a Christian and you're really, you know, you really know the Bible well, you might be thinking right now, well, what, what about people who are, remain in their sin? You know, the Bible talks about, you know, sin, the curse of sin is on us. What about those? Did they lose the image and we have it now because we're God's people? No. Because in James chapter 3, it says, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. So the curse of the fall does not at all affect the fact that everyone around us is created in the image of God. You guys know who C.S. Lewis is? He wrote The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe. He's a very popular author. I believe he died somewhere in about the 60s. Um, he was a contemporary, not everyone knows this, but of J.R. Tolkien, who wrote the, the Lord of the Rings. And actually, they were very good friends. And J.R. Tolkien led C.S. Lewis to faith in Christ. C.S. Lewis was a hardened atheist, and, and Tolkien would share the gospel with him um, and, and eventually led him to faith in Jesus. But um, Lewis gave this popular lecture um, after his conversion to Christ called The Weight of Glory. Um, you can read it in 40 minutes. It's worth the read if you want to grab it. You can get it online. He says this. This is kind of a lengthy quote. They taught me in pastor school. They actually have that, you know. But they taught me in pastor school not to read lengthy quotes. Um, so I, I'm going to get an F um, from my teacher because I need to read this to you. So just the reason they say don't do it is because people fall asleep. They look down. You look down. Right? So just try to focus with me because this is really powerful. The weight of glory, C.S. Lewis. It may be possible for each to think too much of his own potential glory hereafter. He's talking about Christians when they go to be with Christ and are resurrected. It's hardly possible for him to think too often or too deeply about that of his neighbor saying you can think too much of your own glory and get really full of yourself, but it's, you can never think too much about it with your neighbor. The load or weight or burden of my neighbor's glory should be laid daily on my back, a load so heavy that only humility can carry it, and the backs of the proud will be broken. It's a serious, listen to this, it is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may be one day a creature which if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. You hear what he's saying? All day long, we are, in some degree, helping each other to one of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities. It is with the awe and circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilization, these are mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, 
exploit immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. And this does not mean that we are to be perpetually solemn. We must play. (laughs) But our merriment must be of that kind, and it is, in fact, the merriest kind, which exists between people who have from the outset taken each other seriously. No flippancy, no superiority, no presumption. And our charity must be real and costly love with deep feeling for the sins in spite of which we love the sinner. No mere tolerance or indulgence which parodies love as flippancy parodies merriment. Your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses because they are created in God's image. They have inherent worth and value, and so do you. So do you. That's what the Bible says. We all have, I think, sometimes ideas of what the Bible says. It's harsh, it's unkind, it's cruel, and you've known Christians to be like this in your life. But friends, can you read the Bible for yourself and look at what it says of you? How God has created you. The worth that you have because you have been made in the image of God. The second implication is nature. That is, you are something in particular. You're not a goat. Right? You're not a toaster. You are not a monkey. You are a person created in God's image. You say, well, what about evolution? I'm not even going to go there, okay? You're a human now, aren't you? Okay, thank you. That means that you are something in particular, that you are something by nature. And what this means is that to resist your created design is not only to offend the designer, but to withdraw from that which will maximize your personal happiness, your satisfaction, your inner peace. Now, now I've given this analogy before, but I got some new people, so whenever there's new people, I, I say the same things, okay, that I've told you a million times. But imagine a blender in a world of toasters, You're a blender, and you live in a world of toasters. Everyone you know is a toaster. And you start to think, growing up, this is like little Mowgli in the uh, Jungle Book. You start to think, growing up, that you're a toaster. You know you look different, but hey, everyone else is a toaster. But life is tough. Oh, it's tough. It's difficult. Because you're trying to be a toaster, and you're just not a toaster. You put the bread in, and you know, like, in in the top, and it's just... you. You turn the thing on, it just spits out, and it doesn't toast anything, and just life is, life is tough. You know, you can't get that bread hot, you can't make it nice. What am I, why am I here? And then one day, one of your little toaster buddies comes up to you, and he says, look what I found. I found this little book, and there's a picture of you on it. See? Look it. Oh, what is this? It says, instruction manual. All right, I'm going to start reading this. Manufactured by blah, blah, blah. Okay, I'm opening this up now. And like, it says, your purpose is to blend things. Like, oh, okay, and you start reading. You turn, turn this button on. You can chop up ice. You can make smoothies. You can cut up carrots. And all this whole world opens up to you because now you know who you are. You know why you've been made. You know 
your function, your basic function. So now you're giving all your toaster buddies all these cool things, like milkshakes and smoothies, right? You're, you're, you're happy. You're self-fulfilled because you know who you are, right? You're not an elf, buddy. You're a human. <laughs> you are something in particular. And friends, we approach life and sometimes God angry because he says, don't do this. And it's like saying, you know, it's like a little blender being mad because it says, you know, don't put yourself in a tub plugged in. <laughs> How dare you tell me what I can't do? I'm doing that. And I'm jumping in the tub. Well, good luck. <laughs> right? We think God's law is meant to somehow incapacitate us or limit our joy. But friends, how, when, when we realize the goodness of God in Christ, that we are made to be like him, that is to resemble who he is and all his holy virtue and righteousness, that we actually are happier when we're faithful to our wives. We're happier when we don't lie to everybody. Right? We're happier when we're not killing everyone around us and jealous and gossiping. So we can be mad at God for saying, don't do this, or we can just see it as him telling us who we are. We are like him. And if you want the joy that he has, you're either gonna resi- you can either resist it or you can accept it. Right? You are something in particular. God's law is not meant to make our lives difficult, but to maximize our joy by complementing our nature. And by the way, the something you are by nature, is not him. So this must tell us that we need him. The, the most basic function of our nature is that we need relationship with God. You can have everything else in the world, everything else in the world, and you still will feel empty. You still will feel lost. Like maybe there's something else that I, I didn't see I'm going to go after that now. Friend, what you're looking for is God. And Christ, through his death and resurrection, can bring you back to him. Third, the Imago Dei explains both God's great love for humanity and his anger towards them. So number three, love and anger. The fact that we are created in the image of God explains to us why he loves us, but also why he is very angry with us. Now, I, I know we don't, in American culture, we like that part, God loves, that God loves me part. But in American culture, we don't like God is angry with me. We take that one out, and we make an, our own God, and we say what he is. But in Scripture, God is both, and the reason he is both is because you are made in his image. And let me explain. Because humanity is created in the image of God, it is heinous, and it is unthinkable and it is detestable that any of us would reject God relationally and resist what he says. Of all the created things, we should listen to him most. But for some reason, the clouds and the fish and the water listen to him better than we do. You see? All of creation at every moment obeys the command of God himself except you and you and me by the way are created in his image how dare us god's moral law is not spoken to the lion 
or the dolphin. God did not speak the Ten Commandments to these through Moses, but he spoke them to us. Yet we say, nope, I'm not having it. I'm doing what I want to do. It explains the imago Dei, the image of God in us, explains why God will punish sin and will separate us from him if it's not forgiven. But it also explains God's great love. God's great love for even fallen people. God did not send Jesus to die on a cross for a lion or a bear. He didn't do that for them or for these. He did it for sinners like us. He sent his son to die for the image of God that rejected that image so that he could be reconciled to you. So that he could be in a love relationship with you again. Isn't that great? Isn't that amazing? Come to him. Return to him. I got the blender manual. It's right here. Open it. He loves you. Number four. The fourth implication is redemption. The full expression of the divine image in you can be restored through the work of Jesus Christ. We resist it. We sin against God. We go against our nature and his, that image in us. Yet that separation, the punishment for sin, the wages of sin is death, according to the Bible. That divine image, that relationship with God can be restored through the work of Christ. Christ, the God-man. Christ became man so that he could save men. Christ became human so that he could save humans. God made flesh to redeem the lost. He was everything we were supposed to be. He was truly God's likeness. He was always obedient to the Father's will. He stood as the the last Adam. The first Adam said no. The last Adam said yes. Because of the first Adam, we were all cursed in sin. Because of the last Adam, we can be restored in righteousness in Christ. Isn't that great? Come to him. Come to him with empty hands. Not good works, not money, not time. Come to him with empty hands and he will accept you. Turn from your sin. Believe in Christ, the God-man, the last Adam, the true likeness of God, which we were supposed to be but weren't, but he fulfilled for us, died as the Lamb of God in our place. Isn't that incredible? So let's, let's, let's close this up right now. Man, you matter. How important are you? How incredibly valuable are you? Come to Christ, friends. Come to, come to him because he loves you. He created you like him. He loves you. He provides for you daily. He sent his son to restore to you what was lost. You not only matter, but you have a created nature. How you think and what you do matters. Friends, if you're a Christian, would you remember that you are marked daily with the image of God? That you are not junk, that you are not a bum, that you are loved, that you are safe and secure. And friends, if you don't know Christ, would you come to him? Because he extends his hands to you, bids you to come and die so that you might have life in Christ. Amen? Nothing else is worth that. 
you got a lot of money in your bank. Good for you. Right? You're going to lose it one day. It's going to be gone, and your kids are going to spend it all on things you would never have spent it on. Right? Or you're going to get old and spend it on a nursing home, and they'll get nothing. Right? Friends, live for Christ. There is a life coming for you, a God that loves you, that made you. Turn to him. Let's pray. God, we thank you, Lord, that you created us in your image. We thank you for the gathered church this morning that loves you, for whom you died. God, I I thank you, Lord, um, that you have given us this new life in Christ. I pray, God, if there's anyone in here that doesn't know Christ in a way like this, that hasn't realized that, that you made them in, in your image, that we turn from you in our, in our own sin, that we're separate from you because of it, but you sent your son on a rescue mission to save us. Oh, friend, if that's you, all you need to do is repent, turn from your sin, trust in Jesus that he died for it in your place. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's a gift. It's not something that you work. It's not something you pay back. It's something that you trust in Jesus to pay for you. That's the kind of love by which you are loved this moment. Would you come to believe in Jesus? And friend, if that's you, God is changing your heart right now and you, you are believing in Jesus Christ right now. Friend, would you just show me? Would you just put your hand up so that I can pray for you? Is there anyone? Oh God, I thank you, Lord, for these people gathered this morning. I pray, God, that God, a hand means nothing. So God, if there is anyone that doesn't know you, that has come to faith in Jesus, let their faith be the assurance that they're saved. And God, if that, I, just, I hope that if there's someone here this morning that is coming to know you in a way that is saving and trusting in you, God, that they would at least come up to one of us so that we can share with them and delight with what has happened. God, for the rest of us, I pray, Lord, that um, we would remember um, our neighbors, our immortals, created in the image of God. That everyone that we work with, play with, see around us, they are no mere mortals. And God, what value you've given to us. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.